You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. I never get over that. She introduces me like I'm a guest speaker every Sunday. (laughs) I'm a member of this church, I'll have you know. (laughs) Because she said it could be. That's right. Praise the Lord. It's good to see all of you here. I think when we got here, we were running about 60 people. Two years ago, and not even quite two years ago, and today they got a count of 171 in church today. We're pretty excited. I don't know why you would come to hear me speak, but maybe you found other reasons to be here. Amen. Miss Ann says because she's praying. Amen. We've started a series called God is Good. It seems, it seems infantile. It seems small. It seems shallow to say such a thing. However, it might just be the deepest thought in the scriptures. It might just be the most profound way of looking at the Bible from a perspective that God primarily is good. I know you read the Old Testament and you think you're seeing an angry God. But my contention is not whether God is angry or, or sweet. My contention is that God is good. Amen. And that this good God means good for you. It's hard for us to get a hold of this idea that God has done something for the world in the past differently from what He's doing for the world today. I teach... Preachers, I teach Bible college, grad, uh, Bible college students who are training for missions and apostolic ministry, pastoral ministry, music and worship. They're training for children's and youth ministry. We have six majors. Others are training for the marketplace. And as the director, I have access to all of the students on a regular basis. And one of the things I try to get into their minds is that God is good and only does good. They say, well, what about Job? And I say, talk to me about Job, who lived maybe 3,000 years before Christ died. You want to identify with a guy who had no spokesman in heaven? You want to identify with a guy who had no blood on on a stained cross, on a rugged cross? on a lonely hill called Golgotha. You you, you want to identify with a a guy who had no Savior, 
who had no high priest at the right hand of the Father. You want to identify with a guy like that? I'm sorry, that's impossible. All of that nonsense that goes on in our brains to keep us from experiencing all that God wanted us to experience because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, all it serves to do is to keep us from knowing God in His depth and His goodness. God is good and only does good. The troubles you're having are not God's fault. I'm here to defend him today. <laughs> the troubles you experience are not God's fault. It's, it's one of three things. Natural forces. Your own dumb decisions. Just keep looking right straight ahead. I know, I know that punched you a little bit. I didn't mean to. but Or there's a devil at work against you. And it could sort of be all three things. It could, so, it could be sort of all three things. To act like there is no devil is to act like an ostrich. It won't make him go away. You just won't see it coming when it comes. What most of the religious world has done has blamed all the evil in the world on God. Because they get this idea that God is some kind of grand puppet master who could stop anything that's going on if he wanted to. Pardon me. I read the Bible once or twice, and I found that God gave authority for this planet over to man, which is the very reason why God had to become a man so he would have authority here to operate as man. He would have authority only if he was in the flesh. And in the fullness of times, the Bible says. Well, why did he pick that time? I don't know. He had to pick some time. He could have picked the day after the fall, but he didn't. Had a guy say to me not too long ago, he said, well, it's, it's kind of unfair that we get all this good and they get all that bad. I said, well, you don't know Matthew chapter 20 then, do you? Jesus tells a story. When they said that very thing to Jesus, he told a story in Matthew chapter 20. Why don't we just put it up there to see if we can find the verses. I'm not sure what verses they are exactly, but Matthew chapter 20, verse 8. Start with verse 8. Matthew 20, verse 8 says, So when evening was come, Jesus, what, what it said about this, this Lord of the, of the house, he went out, had a big farm, and he went out into the marketplace early in the morning, I'm going to say 6 o'clock, first hour of the day. And he hired people, and on the second hour of the day, I mean, on the third hour of the day, which is 9 o'clock, he went out and hired some more and agreed with the, the guys he hired at 9 for the same amount of pay that he was going to pay the guys he hired at 6. He went back at noon and made a deal with them to give them a penny to work all day. He went back at 3 o'clock. There were still guys in the marketplace that had not gone to the fields, and he hired them for a penny. And he went back at... The 11th hour, the Bible says, which is 5 o'clock in the evening, in the afternoon. And hired a bunch of guys to go work one hour and get the same pay. So when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the least unto the first. Verse 9, And when they were come, they were hired about the 11th hour. They, they that were hired about the 11th hour received every man a penny. Verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. 
And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house. Everybody say, God is not a communist. Sorry, just not. Everybody shouldn't get a trophy. They murmured against the good man of the house, verse 12, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and you've made them equal to us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Behold, uh, he said unto them, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Did not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that as thine and go your way. I will give unto this last even as unto you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with what is mine? Is your eye evil because I am good? Well, that answers the, uh, the idea of God's goodness now, doesn't he? Doesn't it? Jesus, I believe, is specifically talking about you here in this fifth hour, this eleventh hour, rather, this five o'clock group. You are the ones upon the, whom the ends of the earth, the ends of the world have come. And God has decided to be, show himself good and be better to you than he's been to anybody in, in history. Amen. What's wrong with believing that? Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I said, what's wrong with believing that? God is not just good in essence. He's good in practice. He's good to me. It's our evilness that thinks, well, uh, why would he be good to me and not, and not so good to them? That's, that's, he said that's evil to think like that. You should be rejoicing every moment, worshiping every day. Let the words of faith come out of your mouth all the time because God is good to you. Amen. The history ought to point us to God's goodness rather than questioning his motives. I don't understand a God like that. Well, okay. Reveling in His goodness and His kindness toward us is the way we express our faith. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, remember, we read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the things we didn't get to last week was to, was to tell you that when Abraham is standing before the Lord God saying things like, uh, uh, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Are you really going to destroy the, 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 the righteous with the wicked? That be far from it. Let that not even be named as, as something you would do. That action is far from the God who is just and good. You won't kill the righteous with the wicked, will you? Abraham is shocked that, that this is even a possibility. And he's daring to speak to God about it. And makes this deal with the Lord. You remember the deal? Perchance it's five, 50 righteous. Then he goes to 45. Then he starts going down in increments of, well, he goes on to 40. Then he starts going down in increments of 10, 30, 20, 10. The Lord says, I will not destroy it for 10. And of course, you know the story. These angels get to Sodom. They get to Sodom. They can't find 10. They really just find one, and his reputation is questionable. His wife and two daughters, two virgin daughters in the house, you know. We find out what these girls are like later when they get to daddy drunk and get pregnant by him. Hello, I wouldn't call that an exactly righteous girl. Not exactly. So they were riding on the coattails of their daddy. 
whom God redeemed, who God deemed righteous, I wonder why. I'll tell you why. Not because of anything he had done, because somebody greater than him, somebody who knew God better than him, was praying for him. And he meant a lot to Abraham. So because of God's covenant responsibility to Abraham, Lot automatically meant a lot to the Lord. I wonder how many people are alive today because of something you have said about them, some prayer you prayed about them, some love you have expressed to them, and God has been good to them even without them knowing it. How many of you have kids that you know probably shouldn't have survived the night a couple of times, but they did because of you? Yeah? See, God is in covenant with you, and that's why, that's why things tend to overall go. I'm not saying everything goes well. I'm not saying everything goes okay. I'm saying, but if you think about it, in general, things go well for you. Because you're in covenant with God. And He is good. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For, the, for by one offering He perfected forever them that are sanctified. For by one offering He hath perfected... I, I understand the, the English language. I'm from Oklahoma, but I do understand English grammar. And this says that you have already been perfected, but you're being sanctified. You are being sanctified, but you have been perfected already. Well, which is it, Holler? Is it completed, or am I in process? Our elder Frank here likes to teach us about the process. Process is important. Which is it? Am I completed, am I, or am I in process? What's the answer? Yes. I'm completed on one level, but I'm in process on all other levels. Your inner man, when you come to Jesus and come to faith in Christ, there's a miracle that takes place on the inside of you to make you a new creature. It's, a, it's something men cannot accomplish. It's something that good behavior cannot do. I tell my students all the time who are working hard to try to live right, live holy. We're just doing what we, we're just trying. Are you walking with Jesus? I'm trying. Mm. Grasshopper, there is no try. <laughs> There's only do or do not. <laughs> I'm trying. What are you trying so hard for? All you got to do is walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We will live our life in avoidance. And religion makes it worse. Don't do this. Don't do that. You go to hell for this. You go to hell for that. Be careful. Be careful. Religion makes us nuts. Don't step on a crack. You break your mother's back. Religion and superstition are about the same thing. They're about the same thing. It's just superstition named after God. That's all it is. <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't have the basic idea of who God is and what He is in nature. He is good by nature. He has perfected us in the inner man completely. But the part of us that's being sanctified 
is that part that needed sanctification. That is our thoughts. Come on, born again believers of Jesus in this house. Raise one hand and say, that's me. Now raise the other hand and say, if you still have dumb thoughts. <clears throat> okay, at least you're not liars. Praise God. So we're working on our thoughts getting sanctified. That's why you're in church today. Because there's not a lot I can do about your spirit, man. I, I can for those of you who are not saved, for those of you who do not claim to be, to be Christian. Today, I'm offering you a way to come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, to get your inner man taken care of, to become perfect on the inside. You do that by simply believing the gospel, and the gospel is this. Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, and He was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. This is what is called the Gospel. Amen. It's not about how you perform. It's about what Jesus already did for you. Glory to God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is your high priest. He is everything to the real Christian. But the real Christian, then, has a battle on his hands. How many of you have ever been floating down a river before? Of course, you're Tex-Omans. <laughs> That's all we know is rivers. Rivers everywhere. They call us river rats over in Thackerville. It wrapped around my town. West was Texas. East was Texas. South was Texas. Everything but north was Texas. I was a river rat almost on an island. Love grabbling. Who doesn't know what grabbling is? Let me see your hands. You don't know what grabbling is. So you moved in here from someplace, didn't you? <laughs> That's fishing with your hands. When the flood comes and washes away their homes and they're floating down the river, they look for something to float on, look for something to get a hold of. In the river of life, of natural life, we were all just floating along. Life was pretty good. Didn't seem like it was all that dangerous. We didn't realize the water was going a direction because of a fall. It's going someplace lower. And every now and then a tree trunk would float by. Hey, what a handy little floating device we have here. Get a hold of that and float along, you know. Some habit of some kind to help us get through life. Floating, a floating uh, ice cooler that used to, used to belong to somebody. A memory full of nothing or something dead. We just float through life. And then one day here comes a guy with a beard and scars in his hands swimming upstream got a rope tied to him and all kinds of people hanging onto that rope going upstream and he didn't say a word he just getting it going against the current and all these people over there on the stream on the rope rather going to get they yell out you say where are you going they yell out we found the savior what's he saving you from man there's a fall at the end of this river a what? Yeah, a certain death at the end of this river. You need to get over here on this rope. 
Let him take you the other way. Everybody hear him? Yeah, but I got a log and a cooler. You got to turn loose of those and get over here on this rope. Well, but I'm pretty comfortable right here. I'm telling you, there's a, if you listen real close, you'll hear screams down there. Sure enough, oh, oh. Well, how do I do this? Just believe this rope will hold you. Reach over here and get a hold of it. But it's just one guy pulling us all. I know, ain't it wonderful? He's an amazing swimmer. He's a champion of all champion swimmers. Glory to God. So I got to trust one guy. Yeah. Yeah. You finally turn loose of everything, reach over there and get a hold of that rope between a couple of losers who happen to look like winners. Sinners saved by grace. Got over there on that rope. We're all over there together. And it's just pulling us northward, pulling us away from the destruction. But I have news for you. All those things you used to, continue, you used to consider friends, those logs floating down the river, they're still coming. But now they're no longer friendly devices of flotation. Mm -hmm. These are now potential projectiles headed right at you. And your speed northward and their speed, speed southward, yikes. I don't know if you've ever encountered any trouble since you got saved. I had somebody tell me a few years ago, oh, it was 10 or 15 years ago, said, I thought you said that my troubles would all go away when I got saved. <laughs> I said, that's right, you thought I said that. Because <laughs> I didn't say that. If they told you that the day you came to Jesus, all your troubles would go away, they were either seriously lying or seriously misinformed. Or they'd been saved one day and had had a really good day. <laughs> Don't ask anybody who's been saved one day how the Christian life is. He's going to say it's like heaven on earth. Because it is. If you're focused there. John Milton wrote in Paradise Lost, The mind is its own place. And in itself can make heaven of hell. And a hell of heaven. Hmm. Hmm. Ain't got any readers in the building? Yeah. One. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Depends on your focus here. But he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You already have been created in the image of God on the inside. You have been perfected. That's your spirit man. Looks just like Jesus to the Father. But our minds, our wills, our emotions, our solical realm, that's the realm that's in the process of sanctification. Verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws. We just read this in, in Hebrews chapter 8, remember last week. I'll put my laws in their hearts and in their minds, and I will, will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember 
no more. He did not say, he did not say that he was going to put his laws in our hearts and minds so that we would live right so he could forget our sins. That's just nonsense. That's legalistic garbage. It said he's going to write them in our minds and act like they weren't there ever. He's going to write them in our hearts and in our minds. That's not something you can do. That's not something you can do. That's a transference by the Spirit. That's a miracle action of God on the human being to write goodness inside you. And he said he did not do that in the days past. He's only going to do that in this new covenant. He's only going to do that in the new covenant. He's going to do that this side of the crucifixion of Jesus. He's going to do that this side of the resurrection of Christ. He's not going to do it the other side. He didn't do it the other side. He's doing it this side. I unashamedly say that God acted differently toward men on the other side of the crucifixion than He did on this side of the crucifixion because Christ died for our sins. That had never happened before. Before the animal only died for the nation of Israel or for the household or for the individual man. But Christ died for the sins of the whole world. When John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jordan River, he did not introduce Jesus as somebody who might help you in your way. He, might, he didn't introduce somebody, Jesus as somebody who might do something good for mankind. He said... Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. I have to remind you, Jeffrey Dahmer was in the world. Adolf Hitler was in the world. Joseph Stalin was in the world. I wouldn't name a few others, but I'll stop right there. Don't want to say Joe Biden. Did that, did that come out? That came right out, didn't it? John Holler was in the world. The worst sinners of all history. He took away the sins of the whole world. Which means that that had to be registered. We didn't see it registered here. We see them still acting like sinners. That had to purely be registered in the heart and mind of God. That as he wrote his law into our hearts and minds under the new covenant, he was writing something else on his own mind. Righteousness through Jesus. So that when he saw this man called the last Adam, not just the second Adam. Everybody say second Adam. Let that be the last time that comes out of your mouth. Because the Bible does not call Jesus the second Adam. The second Adam means there might be a third or a fourth or a fifth. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. The last Adam. The last, never, never once does it call him the second Adam. It calls him the last Adam. The last Adam. That says something significant because the first Adam made us all sinners. The last Adam made us all righteous in God's eyes. And all, if, if Adam was the first, Adam in the garden was the first, and Jesus, and the Adam Jesus was the last, then that means all men are between them. Wow. God sees the end. He's packaged you already in this righteousness with one tiny caveat that you hear this message and believe it. It is about what you believe. We all see the same thing, but our reports are dependent upon what we believe about what we see, not about what we're actually seeing. Based upon our reports, we know what somebody believes. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Let's take our Bible and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
2 Thessalonians 1.11. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. The word power there is the word dunamis, meaning right now power to act. That God would fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. The good pleasure of His goodness. I looked the word goodness up in my King James Bible, otherwise known as the adult Bible. I looked the word, yeah, Casey. I looked the word up, the, the word goodness up. In the New Testament, every New Testament reference for goodness comes out of Paul's writing. Three times it's in the book of Romans. Once in Ephesians, once in Galatians, and once here. 2 Thessalonians. Three times in Romans. One time in Galatians, one time in Ephesians, and one time here. It's never in Peter's writing. It's never in any of the writings that are to the Jews. Only in the writings to you. Wow. How good is God? How good is God? That He would take you just like you are. And make men who deserved hell, instead of giving them hell, make them righteous. For everyone who would believe. Look at verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Now I want you to slow this down. And you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That the name would be glorified in you. Well, what's His name? Lord Jesus Christ. That's His name. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also means to have His authority. But I want you to hear, He wants this, His name glorified in you. Well, what's His name? Lord. That means absolute authority. It is the will of God for you to have in you the glorified Lord living His absolute authority through you. What's His other name mean? Jesus means deliverer. He wants His name to be glorified in you. His name deliverer. Glorified in you. So you get free from all those stupid habits. Did it get quiet, Miss Ann, or was that just me? Is this microphone working? So you can get rid of all the stupid habits, the things that keep you bound, the things you feel guilty about. His name is Jesus. He's a deliverer. Yeah. Woo! They were shouting. I mean, just two minutes ago, they were shouting. <laughs> I'm not telling you to quit smoking. I'm telling you to just hear His name means deliverer. Use your faith for the delivering power of God glorified in you. The last one is Christ. You also have the anointing without measure. Glory to God. The full flow of the anointing of the Spirit in your life where you can enjoy the spiritual life of God today. Having authority, having deliverance, and having the Holy Ghost flowing in your life. This is what it means to have Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, glorified in you. Come on, somebody say amen. This is good. Verse 18. We're in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10. Now where remission of these is, there is no offering for sin. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of the holiest. Not, 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 not the sanctuary. Not the outer court. The holiest. That is the holy of holies. You have boldness to enter in by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. Not a new and dying way. A new and living way. He's not saying you've got to die to go to heaven. He's saying you're supposed to act like a citizen of heaven right now. This is what the resurrection means. This is what Easter Sunday means. And by the way, we don't get religious and weird about the terminology. I know some of you have been, come from places where you say, well, we don't call it Easter because it's Resurrection Sunday. I say, yeah, it is Resurrection Sunday. We call it Easter here. <laughs> but do you know that's a pagan holiday? I know more than you know about it. And I don't care. Do I look Jewish to you? By the way, just, to, just so you can settle it, getting quiet in your heart over this issue. Esther's name was Hadatha. Her Hebrew name was Hadatha. Esther is a derivative of Eshtoreth, or Ashtoreth, the false goddess of the, of, the, of the Baal worshipers. Esther is a derivative of that name. And they named her book in the Bible Esther, not Hadatha. Get over yourself, would you? Yeah, every time I'm, I'm harassed about Easter, I say it's the same word as Esther. Shut up. <laughs> I won't apologize for being a pagan. Glory to God. I will never apologize for that. That just means I'm saved by grace. Hallelujah. Because the day you apologize for being a heathen, I'm not saying you're a heathen in your heart. We're born again, believers in Jesus, domesticated heathen. <laughs> we get to sleep in the house. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but the day you apologize for being he heathen, you've got to apologize for eating catfish. That ain't happening in Texoma land, glory to God. That ain't happening here. <laughs> you just go and be your Jewish self someplace wherever they... Want you to be, but not here. And if you are Jewish, we celebrate your Jewishness. Amen. We're happy for you. Amen. We want you to be a Jew. We want you to keep your law. We're going to fight for you to have it. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love Israel, and I love, I love all they stand for. I'm not saying they're right all the time, but I believe you'll, do, you'll fare better as a nation and as an individual by blessing Israel than cursing Israel. Amen. But I don't want to be Israel. Amen. I'm not Israeli. I'm, I'm Abrahamic. I'm more about Israel's grandfather than I am Israel. Who got his righteousness the same way you do. You get your righteousness the same way Abraham did. By faith. Remember Genesis 15, 6. It is the pivotal, it is the axiom upon which the entire Pauline revelation was built. Genesis 15, 6. If you don't have it written in your Bible, you should mark it in your Bible. And he believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. You can ask most, most any audience in the world to finish this statement. I actually had a student the other day. I was trying to teach these things too, and I sat with him personally in my office, and I had him read Romans 4, 4. Let's just read Romans 4, 4. Romans 4, 4, 5, 6, 7. We're going to read a few verses there. Can we do that real quick like? Yep. Now to him that works... 
The wages are not counted as grace, but as of debt. Meaning, if you work for it, you get paid for it, there's no grace involved. You just get what you deserve. But to him who does not work, everybody say does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, what? Justifies the ungodly. What kind of good God are you when you'll do that? You're not a bad God. You're a good God. Justifies the ungodly. His faith, the guy who, who believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. I asked this young man, I had, him, I had him read it from his Bible. I said, read it out loud. He read it. He said, oh, that is really good. I said, all right now. Faith without works is, he said, dead. I said, I didn't ask you to quote James. I asked you what this passage said. Faith without works is, he said, dead. I said, hello. How brainwashed can you be? That says faith without works is righteousness. That said faith without works is righteousness. The gospel is that faith without works is righteousness. Amen. You have to hear this, saints. Amen. When James is preaching to Jews, of course they're going to act like that. They're supposed to. Because he's talking about the works of the law, which they are required to keep. Yes. Yeah. Faith without works is righteousness. The goodness of God brings you to this place. It has to be that God is just being good to you. It has to be that God is just being good to you. That He saves you by grace. Because you sure aren't doing anything to deserve it. Now Miss Ann does, but the rest of you don't. I can't even leave my coffee. If my coffee cup is half empty and I haven't touched it in 30 seconds, it, it disappears. Where'd my coffee cup go? I'll put it in the dishwasher. <laughs> okay. She's a good girl. <laughs> By a new and living way, it says in verse 20 which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Not, well, I hope so. I can always tell if somebody's genuinely saved. Ask them, are you, you saved? You're a Christian? Well, I'm trying to be. Wah, wah, wah. Wrong answer. Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. And the reason why more believers don't have full assurance is because their preachers won't let them have it. You've got to walk the line. Well, this says I'm supposed to have full assurance of faith, not full assurance of how well I've performed. Listen, I'm not giving you license to not perform well. The Bible gives you grace to perform well. I did not get married to this girl and stay married to this girl for 44 years because I was afraid of her. Well, I was afraid of her, but that's not why I stayed. (laughs) (laughs) 
She's threatening me right now. Under her breath, she's making threats. <laughs> I stayed with her because I loved her. She stayed with me because she loved me. Not because I was perfect. God does not love you because of how you performed. He does not love you because you've done well. He doesn't love you even because you came to church in the rain. He loves you because he loves Jesus. And he wants you in heaven because he knows how much Jesus loved you. And you going to heaven is not how God will reward you for having done well. Those of you who are here all the time, you know what I'm saying. You going to heaven is how God will reward Jesus for what he did. You are heaven's treasure. He is heaven's darling, and you are heaven's treasure. What good does it have, what good does it do the Father to have a, a beautiful place to live and no children to share it with? For all eternity, all he's been looking for was a family. All he's been looking for were sons and daughters of God. And the earth is joining in. Let me say the whole of creation is joining in right now, groaning in travail, earnestly expecting and looking forward to, as it says in Romans chapter 8, the manifestation of the children of God. Glory to God. The earth is yearning and groaning. Now listen, your behavior matters out there. If they see you acting like them, they won't, they won't ask you about Jesus. But if your behavior is different out there, they'll come to Jesus, as is evidenced by this crowd of people here today. You're talking, aren't you? We're not advertising, so it has to be you. The Spirit of God in you, talking to other people about Jesus and about your church. That's why God's doing something special here at the river. These people are getting free in their hearts. Now they feel like they don't have to be perfect in every detail before they tell somebody about Jesus. I'm loosing you to talk to people about the Lord. I'm loosing you today. I'm giving you authority today to talk to people about Jesus, no matter how well you've performed. Glory to God. Don't let the devil beat you up with condemnation and keep you silent. You keep talking about the Lord. You keep talking about Jesus. And you keep worshiping Him in your private time. Hallelujah. And then when you get with other people, it'll just come out natural. You'll, know, you'll have something to say. You don't have to have a lot of things to say. You don't have to have all the scriptures memorized because I believe like the old Baptist preacher from First Baptist Church in Dallas, W.A. Criswell said, there is no bad way to tell a lost person about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Bow our heads just for a moment. Father, thank you. Thank you for those that are gathered here today. I ask you, my God, that you'll touch every heart, every life here. And especially those who've come here today uncertain of their eternity, uncertain of where they'll spend eternity. I pray for them. They're precious to us, and I know how precious they must be to you. Thank you for drawing them here today. I'm asking that you will speak, my Father, to every person here who needs to know you as Savior today. In Jesus' name. Now, if you're here today with your heads bowed for a moment, please. Honor this moment with me, if you would giving those who are here a chance to privately first acknowledge it in their need for God. If you're here and you say, I need Jesus in my life, I'm not saved, I'm not sure if I died tonight where I would go. The greatest invitation any church gives is not, to, not an invitation to an Easter egg hunt, although that's a good one, but our greatest invitation to you is 
come to know Christ under the free gift of this message of grace that he died for your sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He loves you. He wants you in his family. So that is my invitation to you today. Come to know Jesus. If you will by signify with a, just the raising of your hand, your action of faith to say, I want to know the Lord. I want to be saved today. Just raise your hand right where you are and I'll pray a prayer. Right now. Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. God bless you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Now, Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hands. I pray in the name of Jesus for the Spirit to move upon these hearts now to make them new. If you raised your hand with me just, moment, just now, I want you to pray this prayer with me and uh, out loud, and I'll ask everybody to join in to give some help here. We're going to lead this, these, these that raise their hands together with the Lord. We're going to lead them to the Lord, okay? Let's pray together. Now, you use your own faith. I can't give you faith, but I can lend you words. Now, you use your own faith, okay, as we pray. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I thank you that I, that I heard this message, that Christ died for my sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and all my sins are on him. And now I receive his righteousness on me. I believe Christ died for me. And that because of that, I am now a new creature. Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Take over. I receive your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. God bless you. God bless you. Miss Ann, come up. This is Resurrection Sunday. And your pastor's coming to pray with you. Our elders are going to make themselves available here. But this is Resurrection Sunday. Some of you have lost some things you'd like to get back. What a day to use your faith to get back what you've lost. The resurrection says you have a second chance. It says you can get back what you lost. You think it's dead? It's not necessarily that dream you had, it doesn't have to be dead. Amen. It might have been dead for more than three years, more than three months, more than three days. It might have been dead for a long time, but, but it can come back to you. It can come back to you. We're going to use our faith. Our elders are coming. Miss Ann's going to call them up here in a minute anyway, whenever you're ready, sweetheart.